we see a lot of people that, and I think because of COVID, folks were forced to be an entrepreneur. They were mm-hmm. doing DoorDash or Lyft or whatever the case may be. And what I've seen is those are all hustles. Yeah. Not meaningful and gratifying to that person. Right. Right. It will get them by and it will help them get a job or help them get currency, right, to uh, pay their bills, but it's not gratifying. So what we're starting to see now, a lot more folks coming in and wanting to be back in the workforce. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, business leader, community activist, speaker, author, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you, the listener, that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact. My guest this week is Rob Andrews. Rob leads an organization called Community Works, which aims to create impact through economic mobility. The organization originally started as Denver Works, founded by Debbie Johnson, because they expanded beyond Denver to Colorado Springs and Aurora and all across Colorado. They've branded themselves as Community Works. They serve five target populations, individuals on temporary aid, needy families, veterans, formerly incarcerated individuals and individuals 50 years and older. Through Community Works, they have developed an occupational school where they have short-term industry-recognized credentialing programs that help individuals land jobs. You know I talk all the time on this podcast about the importance of economic opportunity and just getting people a job and how much that matters in the life of families and in the lives of communities. And that is exactly what Community Works is doing. I love that Rob is really focused in such a hyper community oriented way. And I am just so inspired by the work that they are doing. I know that you're going to love this conversation. But before I get to my chat with Rob, I want to thank our partner of the show. And that is Mama Suds. You know that I am such a big fan of Mama Suds. I have been a longtime supporter of them. They've been a partner of the podcast for years, and I love supporting a mama-owned small business. But most of all, I love that their products actually work. Their products are incredible. We use everything from their Castile soap to their all-purpose household cleaner to their laundry soap, toilet balm, stain stick, you name it, we've used it and we love it. Everything is safe, non-toxic, and actually effective. They actually work. I want you to fall in love with Mama Suds too. So head to mamasuds.com and use the promo code Molly to get 15% off your order. That's mamasuds.com and use the promo code Molly to get 15% off your order. Now on to my conversation with Rob Andrews. Rob, welcome to the show. I am pumped to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Molly. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I want to just, we're going to get past all the niceties and we're just going to dive right in and have you give us the Rob 101. So I want you to tell us who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Uh, Rob Andrews, President and CEO of Community Works, uh, originally from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, Grew up uh, in Colorado Springs where there are five military bases. Uh, My family originally migrated there from Compton, California. Uh, my parents have Southern roots. They met in Compton and migrated there, which gave us another life. I was born in Colorado Springs. Uh, ironically, the only one of my siblings born out of five of us in Colorado Springs, <laughs> which is very interesting. Grew up, went to Sierra High School, went to Hastings College, and then I uh, went to the Canadian Football League uh, for a brief time. And that that's where the story really gets started. I 
went there and I had a roommate named Brandon Browner, played for the Seahawks, really large, 6'4", 220 pounds, as fast as I'll get out. Um, and he would play football as if his life depended on that. Right. And for me to get to that level and say, oh, I, I don't think my heart is there where my life depends on that. I need to find something where I can my life does depend. And that became the community. So Mm. going to a liberal arts college at Hastings College, where I'm now a trustee, I found myself uh, wanting to give back and wanting to grow, wanting to be in the community. Um, And that's how I got into the work I do now. There's a longer story about going through careers and setbacks and all those things. But that's the short version of the story. And so you started Community Works for people that maybe aren't from, you know, the Colorado area, and maybe they haven't heard of it. What is it that you do? Yeah. So I, I didn't start Community Works. I was brought on in our 20th year. We're now in our 27th that's year. That's right. That's right. I misspoke. Uh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, would we help uh, remove barriers to employment through job preparation and job placement? So a couple different ways we do that through industry recognized credentials. We have short term programs that get folks skills and get them a credential to get out, get back to work. Uh, and then we do that with our supportive services. We help them remove the barriers through helping them pay rent or getting a car or um, have, helping them to pay for bus tickets and things like that. So that's how we do it here. We're looking to expand outside of Colorado. As we talk now, we are in seven sites around Colorado and it's been very uh, impressive. We started when I got here, it was five of us in a warehouse and then we grew it to near 50 folks. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I want to go back to uh, you talking about your time playing football and when you really started to, you know, notice a shift within yourself that football, while I'm sure you enjoyed it, wasn't the thing that, you know, you went to bed thinking about, woke up thinking about. It wasn't the thing that really kind of, to borrow almost like a cliche phrase, like ignited your soul on fire. You know what I mean? That just the thing that you knew you were born and created to do. When Mm. did that shift start to happen for you? And what did that look like? September 30th of 2006. I broke my ankle my senior year in college, broke my fibula, my tibia, broke my ligaments. And I was depressed for a few days yeah. and knowing that my career could possibly be over. What got me out of that was, was I was also the leader at school for multicultural student union. I was also the co-chair of team against bias, which prevented folks from having bias against other kids um, that went to school there, regardless of age, race, religion, sexual orientation. Um, and that really fed my soul. So as I got well, had surgery, started to think about my future plans for the following year, uh, I sent a tape to Canada and said, hey, uh, if, if somebody um, wants to pick up a kid that went to a small school and doesn't have really a lot of uh, tape, please do. And I think that was just God's way of, I'm also a religion minor, so you'll you'll hear the undertones of that a lot. I think that was God's way of showing me what I wanted. Since I was five years old, I wanted to be a professional football player and I got to do that, mm. but it wasn't my life passion and it wasn't what I was set out to do on earth. Yeah. And getting there and seeing a Pro Bowl player, uh, a two-time Super Bowl champion, and what it took to to get to that level that just wasn't where my heart was at. And I think I needed to see that um, through divine intervention. Yeah. I think think so many of us go through those moments. And uh, I mean, 
I, uh, so I did not grow up in the church. Um, I became, um, a Christian when I was 25 and my whole life, I wanted to be a comedian and I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. Like that was the thing I was going to do. That was what I was created to do. That's what I was, uh, born to do. And I really, was just convinced that that was what my life like purpose and and passion and goal was. And I did tons of, you know, things throughout high school and college and even right after college. But I kind of, I mean, my story is a little bit different, a lot different. I didn't, you know, play football in Canada and whatnot, but, you know, but eventually there was this moment. And obviously like after I came to know the Lord, like it just, my, I realized that that was maybe more of a surface level manifestation of like what was actually really deep and passionate within me. And that's like helping people to understand and know like where joy comes from and what that actually looks like in a practical way. Um, and so I see that so much of it in you and like what you were kind of sharing. Cause, and I think so many people relate to that, you know, whether they, you know, yeah, I mean, and how, how that ends up working in their lives is so, is so different. And so when, when did you, leave the CFL and, and come to Denver to, to start doing this? Well, uh, so I left early in training camp after our second preseason game. Um, then I came back to, and the CFL is very different and complex than NFL. People are probably not going to understand it and we don't have time to explain it, but, uh, I did went back to Colorado Springs to take care of my father. So he passed away probably about four, five years after that, four to five years after that. Mm. Um, yesterday was actually his 10 year anniversary of mm. his passing, but he passed away after that. And um, that that was more where I got to sit and kind of realize that, Hey, maybe I need to be more in the community. Yeah, I really wanted to play football and thinking about it because I grew up poor and I wanted to buy my mom a house. Mm. I wanted to buy that a house. And the reason why the work is so important, what I do now, because we work with adults and it you know, the thought as a kid is I want to give my parents this financial space where they can feel comfortable. Right. I just found another vehicle to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So now I'm giving folks financial space to feel comfortable at the work that I do. Yeah. So would my parents have come to community works? Absolutely. They would have been here. They would have got the, they would have got the help and they would have moved on with, with their time. So like you with comedy, football was just a vehicle to get me to another space where I can get the skills, right. To create the other vehicle to help really help people and do my life work. Right. Well, I love that your focus really is. And I mean, I realize it's in the name. So people are gonna be like, duh, but you know, it being on the community and actually just my husband and I, we were, we were on a a date last week. We were sitting at dinner and we were just kind of talking about, you know, we, when we got married, we, so we live in kind of a small town outside of, um, uh, Durham, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, so this kind of like little tiny town that's connected to, Durham. And we were talking about how like when we got married, we got married in Hillsborough. We lived in Hillsborough. We loved this little town. And then we moved to Durham. And then here we are, you know, 10 years later, we're back in Hillsborough. And, you know, how much this little town has really impacted us mm-hmm. and our marriage and our kids and all this stuff and how we we want to, you know, live and die here. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so we started talking about like, what does change really look like within our community on a cellular level and how that then impacts, you know, the communities around it. And, and anyway, we got into like this pretty deep conversation about this and what does that look like on a really practical level? And he's like, what if this was just like, you know, we didn't have other jobs, like we just 
focused on, you know, changing our community, you know, just kind of those kinds of things. And you really start to, my yeah. husband and I have really deep conversations over it when we don't have our children. Uh, <laughs> But, um, I know but, what that's like. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, but but so I love when I when I talk to people like you who are doing that, like in your own communities, and you're working with people directly on the ground in communities, and you're really working to impact communities from the inside out. So I, I want to break this down for people because so often, especially in just the nature of our polarized social media, everybody's a keyboard warrior world. Everybody thinks like our lives, you know, begin and end and live and breathe and die on like global and national politics and that that's the end all be all and that that what's happening at that level is going to like affect us at a cellular level. And I don't want to get into all the like nitty gritty of it. Like, yes, sure. Those things affect us. But what really matters is when we start to break it down to what is happening next door. How do you impact and connect with your neighbor and the person who lives down the street and the the people who are experiencing homelessness on the corner that you pass every day? So I would love for you to really break that down. What does that look like? Because I know that that's a huge passion of yours. Yes. I mean, you're talking about interdependence. And that's really how really what I'm passionate about is the interdependence of how everything actually feeds into the together. So when we get to that national and that geopolitical level, uh, there's an understanding about how we should work together. Mm-hmm. So for us here at the, at the organization, we're in the community at every step of the way. So we build into our job descriptions that folks should be on boards. You have to go out and do these community events. We have to make sure that we're constantly working with our neighbors to make sure as your job in your job description, we're working with our neighbors to ensure that we're going to have that interdependence and folks know that um, that's how change really happens. So uh, I went to a, this is a while ago, it sparked my memory. I went to a, a leadership event probably 10 years ago and uh, the woman was a captain from the Air Force. Hmm. She was leading it and she said she made us break down what vision is. Vision, here's your mission, right? But vision is the first step. So when you leave here tomorrow, what's the first thing you're going to do to impact your community? It could be I'm going to vote for a city council person, or it could be I'm going to pick up my neighbor's newspaper and put it on their doorstep. Mm. Both of those things are just as important. And you have to understand that when you're doing a community act, they're all just as important because you don't know what's going to come from that. Right. We don't know how that works. Uh, Chemically, we know that if we do something nice for each other, then it makes somebody else do nice for each other, right? The, the synapses in our brain works that way. I'm nice right. to you, you're nice to somebody else. But from a community standpoint, the way that works is, what is the one thing I can do in this moment to impact somebody else? And if you can think like that, you'll start to think like that, you'll start to grow like that. And then you'll see that change at a small level grow in size and really start to affect people around you. Yeah. So what are some of the things that, you know, because I know that one of your big focuses is on employment and and kind of connecting people to jobs. And man, I have over six and a half years doing this podcast, the amount of times I've talked about the importance of like economic stability, reliable employment. I mean, just all of those things. I feel like I've 
for the people who have been listening from the beginning are probably like, Molly, we get it. Uh, <laughs> it's like I, I, I talk about it over and over and over again, whether you live in Denver, whether you live in small town Hillsborough or whether you live in Delhi, India or Nairobi, Kenya, or it doesn't matter. Like people were born to work and to create uh, an income and to support their families and all these kinds of things. And, um, you know, and, and in fact, like I say this all the time, like honorable work is God honoring. And I mean, I, you can go all the way back, whether, whether or not y'all want to believe it or not, but like go all the way back to creation in the book of Genesis. And what does God do when he creates Adam? He puts him in the garden to work it. That's before the fall. That's before the apple and the snake and all that stuff. Like he puts them in the garden to work because that is, that is what we were created to do. And when we don't have work that is dignified, we don't have work that is paying us a fair living wage. When we don't have that, we feel for at a cellular level that we are not living up to the, the what we were created to do. And, you know, whether again, and we could go into all the n- nuances of that because people are like, well, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a stay-at-home dad. You are working. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Children. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, working. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, so many nuances That's to that. Meaningful work. That's meaningful work. Act, yeah. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. So it's, it's going to look different for every person. So my point in, in setting up all of this is, is this is a huge focus for you. And what has this looked like, especially over the last few years where, um, you know, you've been with the company, you know, we've been with uh, Community Works for what, 10 years now, you said? Uh, six. I mean, my sixth year. Yeah. Sixth year. Um, so, you know, you've you've seen the the economic <laughs> ups and downs. Um, I mean, you've, you've seen the economy really change in so many different ways. I mean, now we live in this economy where I feel like everybody's hiring and nobody can, everybody's short staffed and there's just all these different factors. What has all of this looked like for you on a practical level with the communities that you work with, the, with the companies you work with, all those kinds of things? From a pra- practical standpoint, we know folks get gratification from working. That's evident because there's a job loss grief cycle. Scientifically, if folks lose their job, it mimics them losing somebody in their life. Yeah. That's very important. So they go through that grief cycle, those six stages, and then they then they're ready to go back to work. So we work with we work with that. That's a practical level preparing somebody to go back to work. Right. In the community with our business partners, what we do is we take their competencies and we recruit to who they need to work with. So we'll sit down with our business employer, our business partners once a year, at least once a year. We'll say, hey, what's changed? How can we help recruit and get people to recruit and screen for you to get them in our program and get them to you? So that's changed and evolved over the years. We've seen people go from, I want somebody that just, they can do work A through Z to somebody that says, we need the entrepreneurial spirit in the organization now. We see a lot of people that, and I think because of COVID, folks were forced to be an entrepreneur. They were Mm -hmm. doing DoorDash or Lyft or whatever the case may be. And what I've seen is those are all hustles. Yeah. Not meaningful and gratifying to that person. Right. Right. It will get them buy and it will help them get a job or help them get currency, right, to uh, pay their bills, but it's not gratifying. So what we're starting to see now, a lot more folks coming in and wanting to be back in the workforce. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. I've I've had quite a few conversations with um like I've done some traveling recently and I always I'm the kind of person who uh which I realize for most people this will come as a shock to no one, but when I get into like a Lyft or an Uber, by the time I get out, I know my Uber or Lyft driver's entire life yeah. story. I'm like, "Good luck with your custody battle" or whatever it yeah. is. <laughs> I like, get, yeah. get out of the Uber. But so many of the Uber or Lyft drivers I've talked to are, you know, I mean, obviously, that's not their full time job. And so I'm always interested, like, well, what do you do? What do you do for a living? What are you really passionate about? And you're right, this, you know, so many of them is like, well, I was laid off. And so I just was able to start doing this because it was able to pay the bills. But I really am hoping that I could actually use my Uber driver money to be able to fund, you know, starting my own business or starting my own company, like these kinds of things. And the stories, I mean, it's just over, it's thousands of them, thousands of these stories of, of people. And I'm sure that you see these as well. And you work with really specific target populations who have added layers of challenges to employment. I would love to know, especially if there's somebody listening who maybe, you know, has misconceptions about you know, certain populations, um, or maybe there's, maybe they are an employer, maybe they've been hesitant to work with some of the populations that you work with. What are some of the things that you've seen and experienced that maybe would help dispel those myths? Um, sure. Yeah, let's go through. We, we, uh, we, so we serve five top five populations, folks that are formerly incarcerated, uh, folks that are on food assistance, formerly known as food stamps, uh, folks that are on temporary aid to the needy families, which they're receiving food, food assistance and a little supplement income from the from the uh, government, uh, veterans, and then people that are 50 plus. So if we're looking at folks that are formerly incarcerated, uh, the major hesitation from employers is to think they're going to reoffend somehow on their premises. Right. Um, what we have seen is folks don't want to re- reoffend. They want an opportunity. Right. And so there are metrics in place and things in place to help prevent that. There's uh, the W the work opportunity tax credit that folks can get business owners can get that. If somebody does make a mistake that you're backed by the government to support uh, what you're doing, um, there's federal bonding that does the same thing. So the way we've been able to market and target to that p- specific demographic is allow us to be their right hand. Yeah. So we're going to send them to you. We're going to follow them for a year to make sure they have everything in place transportation, clothes, whatever it be, whatever it may be, so that they don't have that even thought of having to do that again. Right. They can be completely rehabilitated and then and then we can move forward from there. Right. Talking about folks that are on food assistance. Well, we live in a world right now, especially in, in America, where we have a lot of the working poor. Mm-hmm. So if you're working poor, you need to help supplement your income. A way to do that is applying for food assistance. It's a vastly underused resource in America because there's so much stigma that comes along with it. Right. Um, right. So, and with that stigma, we've seen people take on two jobs and still have little kids. These kids become latchkey kids. They can't be around instead of just taking the aid that they need. Now, these people are already working for you. Quick story. When I was working in Colorado Springs, uh, we had a lady came in who was a former Colorado college professor became a city council person in Manitou Springs and then became the mayor. Mm. But she was in the program. Wow. She was in the assistance program. She was on food assistance. And we helped her to reach those heights uh, by just being by her side and adjusting. But she's a former professor from an esteemed liberal arts college and couldn't get a job to support her and her daughter. Right. 
folks that are 50 plus people are worried about technology and whether or not they can uh, stay around. And we, we haven't seen that. We've seen them just adapt it just quickly as anybody else learning technology. Uh, we've just got to put them in places where they can do it. So what we did, we created a call center. Uh, we have a transitional jobs program. We bring them in, we teach them how to work in a call center. And then we put them to work outside of that, uh, outside of what we do in a call center. So we see a lot of stigmas. We see a lot of myths. It's our it's our job. I truly believe that why we're here is to remove the barriers. That means we have to overturn uh, the self-esteem of folks that have been beaten down by society, tell them they can't do it, and then overturn the folks that are saying they can't do it by proving that they can. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I last, I want to say it was like last February, I had um, Thomas Vazo, who is the executive director of Homeboy Industries. If, are you familiar with Homeboy oh, Industries? Yep. Love Homeboy um, and the work they do. But but he and I talked a lot about that too, because, you know, again, it's when, when they're working with, uh, you know, former gang members, like there's a lot of <laughs> challenges associated with that. And, um, but one of the things I think is really fascinating, and I'd be interested if, if you see this as well, is the men and women who come through your program, especially who are coming from, especially the, the former incarcerated individuals, they are, I, I would assume that the recidivism rates are lower um, when they're coming through programs like yours. Absolutely. So Colorado's recidivism rate is around hovering around 50 percent. And our organization is 2.4. Wow. So folks in our program have been known to be successful coming out. And we that's why we have so many strong relationships in Colorado with the attorney general and with the uh, chair of the Department of Corrections and with the governor. And they see us and they come through and they ask for advice because we're able to get people to work and keep them in work and prevent them from going back to the um, prison. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. I mean, I knew it had to be better, but that is like staggering. That is staggering. Um, and, yeah. and really encouraging to show that again, it's like give people a chance and, and the importance of Ooh. seeing people, no matter what circumstances that they come through is to look them in the eye and see them as, another human being who is no different than you or I. And to see them as another, I mean, you know, especially this is something I tell my kids all the time. It doesn't matter. Like when we come across other people, we see those people like as image bearers of God, like they are created in God's image and they are people that are to be valued, to be loved, to be uh, respected. And, um, you know, and that is, is so, so key. But I really love the way that Community Works does this. Yeah. Thank you. You know, we believe in the folks that walk through our door and we have a lot of faith in them. Right. Faith is the belief in things unseen. Right. So uh, we may not be able to see them do the work exactly, but we know about their character, about their home life. We know what they need. And that gives us more uh, reason to trust and believe before we send them out to an employer. Absolutely. So what has been the biggest change in you over this time? what When you first started to kind of where yeah. you are now, what have you seen in yourself? That's an interesting question. I think starting out, you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go and want to change the world. Uh, and I'm still that way. I think what has helped me or what's changed in me is being more adamant about the change that I I. I want to see and having less patience for not changing things. Mm. Once you we've gotten to a level where we could be really okay with just being this organization who is at this size and we serve X amount of people. But I've really been intentional about saying that's not okay because we believe in our model and we believe in the people we serve. So we should do more. 
right? We should be doing more. Right. That's our that's our challenge. Um, and I've become less patient with that over the years. Now, have I been harder to deal with? I'm sure. But <laughs> that comes from the anxiety of wanting to be the best in every community we're in. Mm, man, that's good. That's so good. Okay, so you, I know you guys are in seven communities all around Colorado, and you kind of alluded to this is something that you are in discussions with to expand outside of that. What is on the horizon for Community Works? What are you hoping and praying for for the future for this organization? Well, you know, we have, there's a lot of challenges still face folks that are in our target populations. Transportation is a major problem. We've got to solve that challenge. There's there's challenges with um, uh, folks just getting back to work. How do we help folks that are 1099 employees or contractors grow themselves that are in these target populations? How do we su- support the single mom? How do what, What's going to happen with daycare? So there's a lot of challenges still to be faced and to be worked on. And we're going to take them one at a time and remove those barriers to employment. That's what excites me is, okay, we have this challenge. It's our job to meet that challenge for the community. So how do we do it? How do we bring all the stakeholders together to work on this problem and then solve it? We've you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of the Joshua generation, and I just feel like we just kicked the can on a lot of these problems for a very long time. We've expected people to go to work in a society that did, they didn't create on a bus route they didn't create and still have the same expectations of somebody that has a car. We have to really look at how we're doing that for people. And if we're saying that that's the expectation and it's their problem, well, that that's a little misguided, I think. So how can we reimagine these things so we can be more supportive as a community to make our community grow and foster? Because that mother who has to take two or three bus trips now has to do customer service work, worried about her child that's the latchkey kid at home. Mm-hmm. And that's just not acceptable. If we're going to say we're doing God's work. Mm, man. Okay. So I'm curious. So you you said you're, you were a senior in high school or a senior in college, your fall of 06. So you graduated in 07? Yep. So same. Also graduated college in 07. Uh, I will be... Real honest, I've never heard the term Joshua generation. What is that? Yeah, you know the the Joshua generation is our generation that acts, mm. does the does the work, yeah, acts on the work, um, really um, ambitious and uh, resilient, and does the work of Joshua. Man, that's good. Why have I never heard that before? I love that, and I would completely it's, agree. Millennial. You hear millennial a lot, but you don't hear the Joshua generation. Yeah. So, and I, it's funny because I, I get it. I look at the charts or whatever that try to say I'm a millennial. I don't identify with millennials because I grew up, you know, okay, this is how I like to say, I'm like, this is not a true millennial because I grew up, my parents had an 800 number to our house so that I could call them from a payphone for free. Oh wow. Uh, Cuz they were like, well, if you're out and you need to get in touch with us, you need to be able to find oh, yeah. a payphone, you know, if you don't have a quarter. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me other millennials were doing that. I'm like <laughs> No. And my current cell phone number was my pager number, okay? Mm. I had a pager. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those. See, I remember. I'm like, yeah. I don't feel like that's a millennial thing, but maybe I don't know. Technology just sped things up, but you're probably a millennial. I'm a millennial. I've, I've come to terms with that. Yeah. I'm good with that. I, uh, I have heard the term zennial, the XE, yeah. whereas like you're that that weird, we're that weird bit between Gen X yeah. and millennial because we we did we grew up without 
uh, you know, we grew up with TVs with rabbit ears and you put the tinfoil on it to make sure to be able to get the game clear. And uh, yeah. we, we grew up with the 800 numbers and the, the pagers and we didn't have social right. media and iPhone didn't what didn't get invented till after we got out of college, like all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so we we saw the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we are an entrepreneurial generation. And I find it really interesting. And I would actually love to go back over the last 330, you know, episodes and figure out how many of the people I interviewed are within my, our age within like one to two years. Cause I would think it's actually a pretty large percent. And it's not like I'm seeking out, like you can only be on right. my show if you're right. 37 to 39. Um, I really think it would be really interesting to know because I I had another interview just this morning. Guy was the exact same age. Um, so I just find that very fascinating. And just for you to put the term Joshua generation just really was a very illuminating for me. So, Rob, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. The, when I got out of college, it, I was that was um, it was a sermon in church and it talked about our generation being the Joshua generation, not that. accepting the what, but needing the why, and then acting on what's going on. Yeah, I 100% agree with that and think that is really fascinating. Man, really love that. Um, okay, Rob, well, before we get to the get to know you round, um, yeah. is there anything that you want to re- leave the listeners with? Like what, you know, how can people, you know, act in their own communities? What are some practical things people can do to make, you know, a direct impact on on their neighbors and in their communities? You know, it, it starts at different levels. For some folks, it's going to be just volunteering their time. That works for everybody that wants to start at a small level to to, to impact change. Some folks, it can be monetary. They don't have the time to volunteer. Invest in your community. If you don't invest in it, you're not going to control who does invest in it. Yeah. Right. And community's going to change. And you may not like it. Right. Um, and at a, at a larger level, go work in your community. Hmm. Get a job, working nine to five in your community, or uh, be on a board. The board of directors that helps you control and see how things are independent in your community as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, Rob, this has been so good. Uh, I'm really grateful for you and for the listeners. I will obviously have all of Rob's information along with community works in the show notes. So, and especially if you're in uh, Colorado to, uh, to check them out, find out how you can get involved and support the work they're doing. All right. Rob, this is the portion of the show where we ask some fun get to know you questions. So are you ready for the get to know you round? Yeah. All right. Question number one is, what is something that has happened to you in the last year that is particularly memorable or particularly impactful? Mm. Uh, getting engaged. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. When, when's the big day? Don't know. It will be in uh, Mexico. Don't know when. <gasps> Love it. I'll go check that out here soon. But um, yeah, that was probably the most impactful um, thing that happened. I was in a relationship years ago. I was married years ago. However, just didn't work out. And so to have a new partner that's as supportive of me and my career and my children and my life has uh, been great. So that's awesome. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. All right. So I know your passion for community. I know that you once played uh, football. I know that you uh, were a religion minor. These are some things I know about you. What would it? What is something that I would not guess about you? Ooh, I'm a writer. Really? Okay. What, do, what kind of writing do you like to do? All types of write, writing. Poetry, 
blog, short form, not not really long form. I've written raps. It just, you know, I love I love the art of the art and science of putting words together and rhetorical devices and sentences and things like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm also yeah. a writer, so love that. Love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Nachos. Nachos. Okay, what kind? Kind of inside a nacho. So steak, tortilla chips, steak, guacamole, cheese, pico de gallo, which is a salsa, sour cream. Now I'm hungry. That was good. I also love nachos. Have you seen this new trend? I've not not tried it, but uh, I've a couple of my friends have done it with their families where for like dinner for dinner at night, what they'll do is they'll put out like a big, um, I guess like tinfoil, I don't know, uh, something they'll put it on the table and then they do like a big nacho bar, like right there where everybody can kind of just eat, make your own style of nachos. I think I'm on board with that. Yeah. Kind of like Chipotle, but yeah, nachos. I like it. Okay. All right, cool. Um, all right. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, what does it mean to you, Rob, to run a business or an organization with purpose? Oh, it's the greatest feeling in the world to wake up and be filled with purpose every day. You get up every day to impact somebody else's life and to help pe- other people impact other, other people's lives and to see it on their face. So it's a undescribable feeling, but you know, you're doing the right thing. It's, it's very hard to describe, but it is um, the most fulfilling feeling mm. that I've had in my life. So good. Rob, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for the work that you're doing and how you're changing your community and uh, making an impact on so many people's lives. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If there is something that you liked or something that you learned, would you share this episode or this show with somebody on social media? You can uh, find me. I'm at still being Molly or at business with purpose podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So you can tag us and that is totally free and easy for you to do. And it really helps the show to grow and it helps support the show. Also, would you take a moment? Would you go to your favorite podcast listening app? And would you click that subscribe or follow or whatever button it is there to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show? And would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Now, I want you to go and do something good with purpose on purpose.